All right, trade secret fans, welcome to episode 19, kicking off uh, 2023 with kind of a a new twist on the podcast, at least for today. The group here is clearly made up of some different generations. We've got the millennial to my left, the boomer to my right. Um, somehow I fit into this Gen X category. And yesterday we attended a presentation by Chris DeSantis, who's the author of a book called Why I Find You Irritating, Navigating Generational Friction at Work. Um, and given the generational friction that we've experienced on this podcast over the last year, and just candidly during the day, uh, watching uh, how three different generations interact with each other in the workforce, we thought it'd be a good idea to go to this event and um, then debate what we learned or didn't, or didn't learn, learn yesterday, depending on who, who you talk to. Um, and then after that, we're going to segue into uh, the real estate topic about how there's some generational issues in the real estate industry that are real and in front of us. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, still in dry January, so you'll see coffee cups instead of bourbon, which is... It's also like 9.40, well, 10, what, 10, Yeah, we're, we're filming Six. early today. Um, and it continues to be a rainy day every single time we do a podcast. So we got to fix that. But Hopefully some snow. Hopefully we transition to some snow today. I don't even know where to begin because I feel like we are dealing with dynamite this morning. But... Well, f uh, just to touch on your intro. Yeah. I wouldn't call it generational friction <laughs> that we experience here. I think we have generational perspective. And I think everybody... I don't care where you're from. You're a product of your generation. It's this is how you experience life. This is what you grew up with. Right. The things that uh, affected me when I became self-aware at a certain time are different from the things that you experienced, and they're completely different from the way you experienced them. Um, the people that taught you, your parents, your teachers, came from a different perspective. The my parents were part of, what do they call them, the, the traditionalists. traditionalists? But their experience of growing up included the Great Depression, World War II. Uh, they had all sorts of things that, they, that impacted their life that they tried to you know, drop down to the next generation. So I think that I think no matter what happens, you are a product of your entire upbringing and the history and the chronology of that, which is one of the things I disagreed with him. He said that... Uh, this is Chris. Yeah, Chris. Yeah. Chronological birth is not as important as your shared beliefs, but I think that uh, they're integral. I think that they just kind of get inter intertwined. So that, at least that's the at least a quick... Well, but I, I think not to like totally hijack your whole plan for that. Well... It yeah. wasn't a plan, but... There is no plan. I think where the friction comes in is where the generations lack or don't um, aspire to understand why the other generations that are not theirs and that are not like them are the way they are. Like, just by way of an example... Um, people in your generation, Michael, so the, the boomer generation will say, like... Millennials are, are soft or um, entitled or whatever it may be that we don't um, we want more things and we don't want to work as hard. 
but I think there's also a failure to understand that we are fortunate to have those circumstances because your generation worked so hard and the generation before you were. So you sometimes there are very like criticizing things said about our generation, but really like your generation worked to be better than the generation before you. Kevin's generation worked to be better than the generation before them. So like I do, I've never understood like a resentment towards younger generations because you should always want to be setting younger generations in, in your family and, and otherwise up for a better future or a better upbringing than what you had. So it's like, you know, my parents always be like, you don't know how good you had it. And I was like, well, <laughs> wasn't that your intention here, though? Like, wasn't that your intention? Like, you wanted me to have be worse off than you <laughs> growing up? Oh, so it's I, like, I, I like agree with you 100 generations will criticize the things that they worked to put in place for us and that's what's also interesting to me as I do here and again this is a generalization but nine out of ten people in your age group that I will talk to about these things have no hope in the future generations whereas like I think the generations after us will be the after me like the gen z what it was gen alpha whatever it is now will be the ones to change the world so it's like the older generations have disdain for younger generations but the younger generations are optimistic for generations younger than them and i just i find that's where the friction is um from my perspective but friction in general or friction at the workplace both both yeah yeah i mean yeah both yeah i think i think the the way people work from my generation of growing up and in in all aspects of it working for one company versus working for multiple companies yeah didn't um, chris said yesterday the average length of stay at a company for the millennial generation is 3.9 years mm -hmm. yeah i mean he didn't give the average of what the boomer generation is but it's got to be 30 25, 30? I don't it know. It can't be. I, I, it's I not 3.9. I don't know whether it's just the same company, but certainly within the same industry. You right. know, I mean, I'm of a generation that was literally the cradle to grave employee. Right. Uh, you know, IBM, Xerox, companies like that. I mean, IBM, the quote was, I've been moved. Uh, you know, it, it's they, you started here and you just advanced up the ladder. And that was pretty much you know, how uh, the boomer generation looked at everything. You started with a job, and that was, you know, cradle to grave. The I've been moved thing's interesting because Chris yesterday in his talk, he said, you know, from a work perspective, when a boomer got asked to move to Chicago for a job, the, que the reaction immediately was when, and I'll be there. Yeah. And the generation, the millennial generation's response is, let me talk to my spouse or let me talk to my parents. Like, it's a totally different response to the same question. Um, and pretty fascinating when you think about it. The, I mean, he called it the do-tell phenomenon. The boomers just, whatever they were told to do, they did. Mm -hmm. And um, the millennial generation or the Gen X or the Gen Z doesn't have that same perspective. Yeah, and I think that you, as a... You're a Gen Xer, right? That's yep, right. Gen Xer. Check my notes. Irrelevant, according uh, to Chris. He's a cusp. Yeah. Uh, you're on the cusp, though, right? I'm a cusp. And I think yeah. I think they're all cusps regarding that. You know, if you're born to the tail end of one thing, you 
kind of fallen. It's not. Yeah, like the cuspers are the people who fall yeah, on the edges not, of the the twenty year gas. It's not etched in stone, but um, yeah, I think that w you probably uh, ha grew up in this industry by you got to be in the office and you got to do this and you got to do that because you were most likely mentored by someone of my age. Correct. And that is part of how your work ethic is ingrained in you, whereas it's probably you, you can see how the world is beginning to change and are probably more receptive to that change than me. Yeah, I think that's fair to say based on our experiences yeah. as a group so far. A little more receptive to the change. Yeah, um, I think that it's uh, your you, the, your method of work has been different from my method of work or my method of learning work, if you right. will. So um, we kind of went in circles a little bit there, but you know, big picture, what was your take on the presentation? Chris's thoughts on the boomer, the millennial, the interaction at work. Like, was it informative? Did you get something out of it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I've um, never laughed so hard in a two-hour presentation yeah, as I laughed yesterday. Yeah, he was hysterical. He was definitely hysterical. Yeah, if you're watching this, Chris, you are um, hysterical. And I want to know what keeps your energy level at it. Yeah, please. You are running at a thousand percent. He drinks a different type of coffee than I do, that's for sure. Yes. Um, yeah, uh... I thought I found some certain things different or interesting. Um, a lot of what he said, I mean, I have boomer parents. I have experienced a lot of generational conflict in my personal life. You know, not that I think we have generational conflict here, but I've been fascinated with, you know, how that generation got to be how they are now and, you know, what has changed to make my generation the way we are. Um, so I do like, this is something like in my personal life as well that I just find fascinating and I could talk about all day. Um, the one thing that I thought was really interesting was that he, he called out the difference between implicit and explicit mm -hmm. and how that changes. And he, and he framed it in, in reference to, um, implicit versus explicit love. And he asked, you know, the generation that the Xers in the audience, you know, how many of them had children and how often they told their children they loved them. And the unanimous answer pretty much was every single day. Whereas they asked the Generation Xers, um, how often did your parents tell you they loved you? And the answer was pretty much like, almost never. And then Chris made like a great joke of like, only when my dad was like drunk on Christmas, but. <laughs> he was talking about when the boomers got told. Yeah, how often the boomers only heard uh, their their parents tell them they love them. Uh, when they got drunk like on that, Christmas, right. Which was a joke, but but I do see that. Like, I, And I think that um, every generation adapts to add, add more of what they're missing from their parents' generation or their relationship with their parents, and they adapt to add more of that into their relationship with their children, and they keep, they keep the good things and try to increase the good things from those relationships, and then they try to... Um, weed out or eliminate some of the less than ideal things from those familial relationships. Um, but it's interesting because he linked it back to in the workplace where now the younger generations, they need a lot more dialogue. Like they need to hear those things. So they're so used to getting positive feedback from their parents, like being told that they're loved. Um, yeah, he called that, it recognition for contribution. Yeah. So the younger generations, um, 
which I found interesting because a lot of people will criticize younger generations and say we're always on our phone, we have no communication skills, no interpersonal skills. But what he highlighted was almost the opposite where like the younger generations need more constant dialogue and more of a constant feedback loop, um, which I had never really, I had never really thought of before. But it's interesting. Like the juxtaposition with our propensity, our growing propensity in newer, younger generations to use technology, but simultaneously needing more interpersonal communication and feedback. That was something that I'd never recognized or considered before. But Do you I think, think that's true. accurate? For sure. For sure. Yeah. You I, seem skeptical. No, I think it's 100% accurate. I think that, you know, we, like you said, that there's, it's generational where you... You just, this is your job, do it, I'll come back and check on it, and, you know, are you going to get yeah. positive feedback, or do you need constant nurturing? We are a generation that got yelled at. We are a generation, we meaning me, uh, we are a generation that got yelled at. We are a generation that experienced corporal punishment. We are a generation that, you know, you didn't do something right, you, you, you got, you got, Taken to the principal, you got the strap when you got home, and then the whole neighborhood ostracized you. So it was, uh, you know, it was Im embedded into you. It was kind of a negative reinforcement. So you probably avoided being uh, even highlighted at all. Yeah. But do you think that's like? But do you think that's healthy? Personally, for me, yes, absolutely. I'm a big believer in spare the rod and spoil the child. Um, I think that again, you have to look at my my upbringing it worked for me i realized there were consequences you know you mentioned that the things that irritate you about my generation sometimes i think that my generation is irritated by there doesn't seem to be any consequence for people of a, a younger age now every generation thinks that the next generation is going to destroy the world <laughs> i okay? don't you are the well, exception. Well, maybe you're the exception the, because growing up, you know. Uh, that was Elvis, one of his El bullet points yesterday. The next generation is yeah. going to destroy the world. Elvis Presley and the Beatles were, you know, they're going to be the death of society. And who is this guy that's shaking his hips and so on and so forth. And then the television became the idiot box. And, you know, so it's just, I don't know whether it's just, it's that's kind of like that rift that always goes between that particular generation. Um, and then that's probably what caused me to parent, and for the most part your parents, for me to parent the way I did and my children, who were your age, there's the result of that. They think differently because we parented them differently. Do you think your kids are millennials? Like, do they fit into the generalization of millennials? Um, one of them does. Mm -hmm. The other does not. The um, older or the younger? The older does not. He is my. The, the older is an extremely old school conservative guy. Is he a is he a cusper? Is he almost Gen X? Uh, I don't know. What would nineteen ninety mm -hmm. be? No, he's younger 92. than me. Yeah, so no. Ninety two and uh, ninety four. So they're right in the thick of it. Ninety four is almost a Gen. The cusper the other way. Yeah, yeah. And, and both of them are, both of them are spend all the time in the office, which kind of. I'm sure is a mimic to you know how I raised them. Right. You know, work was paramount, and that's something you have to do, and you have to provide for your family, and you know, yada yada yada. But, but my parents, I mean, my parents worked. So the thing that I took away, the other thing yesterday, 
a lot of what he said about millennials did resonate with me, except I do think I grew up in a socioeconomic stat class that is maybe not the one he was talking about. Um, my parents worked their asses off my whole life, you know, um, both of them working, you know, blue collar jobs to support three children. And, you know, my mom would come home from a whole day of work and cook dinner and do laundry. And, you know, they were always working, but I saw that and I saw how hard they worked just to like provide for us and to give us the best life. And, and, you know, like I never realized when I was growing up that I had less than others. And it's because they worked so hard to make it so. But also, like, seeing how hard they worked, I thought, I don't, I don't want to have to spend my life working that hard just to provide for my family. Like, I would like to be able to take a deep breath and not have the constant stress of paying bills and providing for the children. So I think it made me think about, like, more of like a work smarter, not harder kind of mentality not in not taking anything away from what they did but I saw what they had to go through and thought I would like I would like for it to be different for me when I have a family and and not ridiculing how they raised us in any way but yeah it's um it's interesting he said that the gen xers are raising the gen z's right is that right? Um, an alpha. I mean, an alpha, yeah. yeah. And it was interesting. I mean, I, I admittedly found more intrigue from the conversation yesterday relative to my personal life and um, raising a family than I did as it relates to a more productive workplace. Like, I didn't really. I mean, he did try to tie it back to work a couple times, and maybe it's because we have a small team even though we do cross a lot of generations and we don't have like, we're not IBM, but it was, it, it resonated way more to me about the personal side of raising children than it did about the interaction between the three of us or the four of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think that the whole idea to truly understand generation impact, you, you really have to go back to the personal aspect of it because right. it is so, it is so personal. And I think that, you know, the, the the boomers were the ones who raised the millennials. You know, they were our children. And you were probably influenced. I, I guess it, I'm saying it skips a generation. He a said that we were things. the irrelevant generation. Yeah, well, you probably got a lot of, you know, uh, what you learned. It's the, it's the parents before you that kind of instilled certain aspects of, right. you know, before me. Not necessarily, you know, your grandparents or... You know, I think that it's, it always follows down because the next group of children that we are raising are the ones that we had. So it's a little bit more direct contact. Yeah, and I think that. sitting in between the two of you, both literally and figuratively, right, from a generation perspective and at the table, um, I witness the differences between your generational like nuances, like the the generalizations of what you're supposed to be like um, on a day-to-day basis. But I think that there's a level of respect and appreciation for each other that almost trumps, like he calls it, why you irritate me at work. Um, 
Like, I see it happen, but I think maybe because we're a small team or because we respect each other, like, it doesn't turn into a, there's not friction, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, and I, and I think one of the things that I'm just speaking as a boomer, talking about how they live in this world today, um, one of the things that becomes very scary is how fast the world is changing and how all of our upbringing is being challenged by where society is going right now. All right, and I, this is... This is, I don't mean. When you this. say all of our upbringing, you mean your generation's upbringing? Everything, everything I was told as a child, okay, or as an adult. And where do you where do you learn things? You learn things from your parents, your school, and your peers. He put a huge emphasis on the school situation yesterday, yeah. which I had never given any credence to. But it wasn't just like how your parents raised you, but what the education system was buying into at that time. He put a huge emphasis on that. I am the generation of reading, writing, and arithmetic. Okay, these are the things that you had to learn. These are the skills that you had to achieve. You know, our standardized test was called the Iowa test of basic skills. So we had to do that. That's how education was. Today, I don't even know what it is today, but, and this is the generation coming out in me. I, I, we've had this conversation that I think the worst thing that's affecting this country is the American education system. Okay, that's I, I another rabbit hole. That's but another rabbit hole. The other hole. thing, though, he said, though, was like the generation or the, the education model in your time was more individualized learning. It was standardized tests. It was, whereas, excuse me, when I was in high school, even middle school, like middle school, high school, college for me, everything was a group project. It was, I mean, I had an organizational behavior, an organizational psychology class. Every single class that I had in college, there was some kind of group project. So I was brought up for the second part of my education, working collaboratively with a team on almost everything. Whereas he said, your generation and probably the, for the majority, yours, your yeah. educational upbringing was all independent focused work, standardized tests, projects on your own, whereas it shifted to a more collaborative model, which I do feel prepares you for a workplace. Like most workplaces, it's not go in and just do your own thing all day. Like there is, I think probably 90% of the jobs that people are in in life there is some kind of collaborative team-based atmosphere that requires understanding how to work effectively with other people. Um, so I think, you know, oh, I, you, I, I, you might talk I, shit on the education that I got, but at least we, you know, we did have more of like the collaborative thing that I think does help us integrate into a workplace setting. Um, well, and fast forward better. to today, like even past your generation, he um, made the comment, which rings so true to me. Like, if a teacher today reprimands a kid and sends a note home, the kid doesn't get in trouble, the teacher gets in trouble. Versus when Michael was in school, and even when I was in school, and probably even when you were in school, if the teacher wrote a note home, the teacher didn't ever get questioned about that. Um, and but it I, is a fascinating phenomenon. But I, that thing... When he said that, I, I mean, he made a couple of generalizations in the presentation. I do feel like that was a generalization. 
I mean, I have friends that have children that are in school, and I don't think that criticizing the teacher for every parent is like a first reaction. I, so I think that's a generalization. I mean, when your kids, I mean, your kids are all little angels. Um, well, so, exactly. But. Well, but I mean, like, have you ever gotten a note sent home by a teacher? I mean, well, and they is don't that send your first notes reaction? per se, but they You're send. You're talking about my children or me? <laughs> yeah, they send an email, and it's not our first reaction. Our first reaction is the parent or the teacher's probably right. But, but your kids I would are say, of school age now. Yeah, but I, mean, I would say their peers and our friends, their first reaction is the teacher's wrong, which is insane. It's absolutely insane. It is. And, I mean, but I don't know if that's a generational thing or more of just like uh, parents living for their children, you know. Um, oh, I think it's a generation, generational thing. It's a generalized general yeah, generation gen- thing. Yeah, generalizations are. There's a reason I why the generalizations. That is an absolutist. I don't think that's an absolute thing because I have friends that have kids in school, and when a parent, when a teacher sends home a note, the parents take it seriously. It's f. It's absolutely the default button. It's more often than not. It's rare that the uh, the parent is going to back the teacher. Well, I, think I would like to pull the audience on Where this. Is one. It, <laughs> it's the two reasons why people aren't going into the education profession. They don't get paid, and they're defending everything they do um, versus being respected for what they got hired to do, which is try to educate the kids. But and, and again, this is a different, you know, in. Public schools, this is a rabbit hole, but public schools are not in the education business. They're in the matriculation business. They are get them in, get them out. Get them in, get them out. Um, When I was a kid, we walked... Everything was uh, better. No, no, but we had... Okay, you you talked about the self... uh, You know, everything was... I'd interpret that as personal responsibility. It's your job to do this homework assignment. You didn't do it. You're the one who gets reprimanded. Okay, it's not a team thing, or Johnny didn't do this, or, or whatever. It was all, this is going to fall on you. You have to perform. But in the team okay. sense, it's still, there are personal responsibilities, and then it's the team's responsibility if someone's not pulling their weight to manage that situation to make sure that it gets right, done. Right, but that's a pretty big task for someone who's a fourth grader. Well, how do you learn to do whatever then? If you don't, Where do you start? I don't know where you start, and that's a completely different conversation, but I think what I was trying to make is it got away from personal responsibility and became more of a group kind of thing. And I think that did work change because that's how you were taught, or is how you were taught what caused work to change? I I don't know which came first regarding that, Um, but I, I think that's probably one of those things that you know, looking back, I don't know whether it's right or wrong and whether or not it's going to turn out to be, you know, we'll see how that happens. I'd be curious to know, like, if there were about 100 people in the room yesterday. What percentage of the people who walked out of that room, something's going to change in their work situation? Um, From that seminar? Yeah. I would say very little. What do you think? Um, so, to your point before, I don't really know that he gave any, like, 
straightforward tips of how to manage this in the workplace. I think it was more of just like a calling to light the characteristics of these generations that are in the workplace now and why they have the characteristics that they have. But I don't think that um, there were practical applications of how to manage it. Right. And he did warn a little bit. He said I, he wasn't going to be prescriptive right. in this conversation. Which was like every company is different and how, how team, I do understand why that would be um, a difficult thing to do. Do you know more but, about Michael's boomer mentality now? Yeah. Yeah, I think I do. Do you know more about the millennial yeah. experience? Yeah, I do. Um, but just to throw something out, all right, so you've never been my age. <laughs> Correct. Not yet. Just I've got been some time your to go. age. And I've been his age. But and in a I've very different world, <laughs> so much has changed. Well, like, let him finish. Who knows okay, what he's even right. going to say? And the world is different. The world will always be a different. Be different. But that idea of you know growing up and finding out and trying to develop your ideas of, okay, what is this? Is this you know is this something I'm going to take this side or I'm going to take this side? Um, it, it's when. We talk, whether it's business-related, all of our conversations, and I think you'll agree with this, are you would defer to the fact that we have experience, but that does not negate that we don't want to hear how you would approach a problem because it's going to be different. And I think one of the things he said that would solve all these frictional issues is dialogue and the more conversations that you can have. And I appreciate the fact that sometimes you guys let me go off on one of these tangents about what this was back at this particular time. And he does go into some of these events that, you know, I always go back to something historically that usually it has what happened before has an effect on what happened now. So when you say it was a different time, yeah, it was different, but a lot of things regarding that difference was similar. Yeah, I mean, it might be self-serving, but I do think that our clients, like I've been trying to think about this over the last 24 hours, I think they do benefit greatly from the generational differences that we have at this table. Um, they're not getting pages, generations perspective only. They're not getting the boomers perspective. They're not getting the Gen X's perspective. They literally are getting answers or um, advice based on kind of a, multi-generational approach which I think is something that you know as I reflect on it I think is pretty awesome about what we've created I, here I think it's one of those things that makes our culture very special yeah. because we do have that integration and I know my perspective is not the only perspective in fact in reality if I held these beliefs and only and didn't move from them I'd get run over right I mean when you well that's a rabbit hole, but maybe since we're on the topic, I mean, when you were at Cushman and just got started, when you were five years in the business, let alone one year in the business, was anybody listening to what you had to say? No. In fact, we, uh, when I would go on uh, cold calls or meetings, everything like that, I always wanted to bring someone with me that was a little bit senior. I used to call it the gray hair factor, that they'll just, even if I'm doing the talking, they're there's going to be credibility just because he's in the room. Right. 
And uh, I think that that was an is that important why you, thing. Is that why you let your hair go gray? No, actually, that was kind of a natural That's thing. why I started yeah. dying mine gray. Yeah. Actually, yeah. the gray hair factor. Maybe I'll, yeah. maybe I'll give that a shot. Yeah. But no, I, I think it's a good segue into the like the current situation in the real estate world. So CCIM and crew put together a um, research paper about women and men and age in the industry. And it's fascinating because as we sit here today... Um, we're in January and February. We're going to have our fifth teammate. At that moment in time, we will be three-fifths women and three-fifths millennials, which is unheard of in this industry. Um, as of 2020, the percentage of women in the workforce, this is all real estate, commercial only, not residential. If you look at residential stats, they flip completely. But on the commercial side, only 36% of the commercial real estate industry is uh, women. And that's asset management professionals, brokers, developers, and finance professionals. I would argue just based on anecdotal evidence and experience that the number of brokers in the uh, women category is less than 15%. There's no way it's pushing 40%. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, definitely not in the Pittsburgh market. I don't know. I think other markets are... I mean, it's, it's less than like ten percent at the SIOR events, so it's definitely not thirty. Um, but in any event, it is a real thing, coupled with a boomer situation where you've got forty-five percent of the workforce globally, not just um, in the brokerage industry, is now millennials. Boomers are retiring. Um, if you look around the room in our space, the gray hair factor is a real thing. Um, and there's not an influx of youth, the millennials or the Gen Zs who are stepping into the industry. So I'm fascinated with how that's going to play itself out over the next, the rest of my career, the next 20 years, for sure, Paige's career. Um, you're probably not as worried about it, but. No, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a thing. And actually it's a thing that you've just watched happen. Yeah. And, you know, there was a while there and I don't think it's just a uh, specific to the commercial real estate industry. I'd say anything in finance. I'd say mm -hmm. this, uh, and if you probably looked over the that service sector, I bet those percentages are relatively the same as the percentage of millennials, the percentages of women. Um, I think historically, too. though, commercial real estate is at the bottom of the rungs on all of those buckets. Yeah, yeah but there's I, still some that are like look at private equity. Like right. it's even I worse. Mean. Yeah. I think that there's, in every one of those things, there's going to be a gap of this age group versus this age group. And um, that will be, there's going to be a dearth of talent in, those, in that particular decade or whatever time frame that might be. Because for some reason, they either didn't get into it. I mean, now, is it, you said 45% of the people in our industry now are... No, in the workforce. In the workforce. In the U.S. workforce. What is the millennial component in real estate? Did they go into that? Or? They didn't. There's not a breakdown, and I looked hard to try to find it. But again, just purely anecdotally, even if you just look at the Pittsburgh market, it is a fraction of the workforce. You said in SIORs, it's less than 10%, correct? The women thing is less than 10%. Um, what about the millennial thing? You did say there were a lot of young people. Yeah, so the they've made a big press of getting all young people to the table that are in the business. But I still think getting into the business is difficult, especially so if you take everything about 
what we learned yesterday about the millennials, not what we I think about them or what you think about them, but what um, Chris pointed out, it's the opposite of how this industry works. The industry historically, and there's going to be a sea change clearly, historically is no pay, no recognition, a lot of hard work for five years, and then maybe you might get a pat on the back. Like it's a institutionalized thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I lived it, you lived it. Um, there's a SIOR guy who just reached out from Seattle yesterday, he owns his own company. And the question to the entire SIOR community is, how do you bring a young person into this industry today knowing that they won't come work in an industry where they can't get paid? They graduate college, but the historical approach is, you want to come work at, name your poison, Cushman, JLL, CBRE, come work for free, and two years later we'll see if it works out. Like that's not going to fly when you're graduating college with a quarter million dollars of debt. Like it's just not going to happen. So, yeah. I, that's that, that's that's I mean, always your, been like you're in the uh, NAOP developing leaders thing. Like, what are they like? What are your peers saying? Um. So a lot. I even though it, people are still going to like straight commission models, I think there is a transition away from that. They're either given. Um, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars that they then need to will need to reimburse some proportion or all of. Um, but I don't. I haven't talked to anyone lately that is just waiting for a deal to go through in order to collect a paycheck. So I, I think people are realizing that that's not. You can't ask people to work for well, you free. You can. You can. It worked. I but mean, also, I mean, there's there's both of a us did it. there's a a grind for talent, and I think people realize that um, coming out of school with all of the debt that my generation and generations after us are having, that's not to get the top talent and the people who are willing to work the hardest. They're not going to do it at that level of risk of I might not get paid for the next twelve. 18 months like I only am going to get I'm only going to eat when I kill Um, because it's a long process and also like I think it's kind of shitty (laughs) and I know that like this is rich coming from me because I've never had to live through this but I think there is a lot of work that happens behind the scenes before a transaction gets closed or a project gets completed and along the way of that, you collect other information that is valuable in continuing to build the pipeline of the business or continuing to just help you learn what's going on in the industry. And so I think like there's just there can be such a delay, even though you are doing the work every day until you see the end result and to not be compensated for the work that you're doing in the interim, I think is I think it's a sh- crappy model. Um, of like a commission only thing. I, I don't know. Some people like it. Some people, it definitely motivates them. Um, I think my generation, younger generations, like I think that model will be hard pressed to survive um, given the attributes of these generations, given the college debt that they're coming out of, you know, out of school with, and given the fact that um, we value our time and we're not willing to 
put in all of that effort for no guarantee of some kind of income. Which is, to me, the most interesting thing about real estate in our industry and the generational gap is that as of fall 2022 at the National SIOR Conference, the only mission I had was to talk to people about compensation models. So I can only speak anecdotally. There's no study. Like, crew didn't do a study. CCM didn't do a study. But if I talk to 100 people about it, 99 of them are still living in the very traditional work for free, straight out of school, either make it or break it. Um, and that there is going to be a break. Because Liz, I mean, she's sitting right here saying it doesn't work, but the industry but hasn't changed. At the same time, though, I... I came into this industry like I was 30 years old. I already owned a home. Like, I wasn't able to go into a straight commission model because, like, there's no way in hell I could just, like, move back in with my parents. And, like, so kids coming out of school, they do live with their parents longer to delay, you know, having to make hit those life milestones of buying a home. Like, the things that they financially can't do as quickly because of the, the debt that they've amassed in college. So he, Chris yesterday said... People are after college are living with their parents longer now than ever before. So maybe someone right out of school could do that. Right. Maybe but me, it's a third career I mean, I was career. six, seven years after college, maybe eight, that I got into this industry. And it, at that life stage with like the expenses that I had, I mean, that was not feasible for me. Sure. So 20, being 23 and being 31, getting in the industry are very different things. I agree with everything that you said. I also think that there is always going to be that person, okay, that looks at this industry as my ability to earn is limitless. And they will take that shot at the brass ring no matter what they have to do. And I don't know what, you know, when you, when you started out, but when I started out at Cushman, you know, I worked nights. I worked as a bartender and, you know, whatever you could do because I knew that there was that carrot in the end. Now, that was me. I don't think, I think, I don't think this industry is built for 90, uh, for 2% of the entire population. Right. You know, this is a very challenging thing just specifically because of that compensation model. But there is that light at the end of the tunnel. And if, if that statement of uh, the typical Gen Xer is in a job at 3.9 years. That's what you said. <laughs> no, the millennial, not the millennial. The, Gen Xer. the millennial, 3.9 years, where it takes you three years to just to figure out what your job is. <laughs> yeah, it's, geez, it's, that is that is just a completely well, in unsustainable this, in model. In some industries, I mean, I definitely, I've worked in other industries where a year and a half in, and I'm bored. I'm not being challenged, um, and then you leave. You know what I mean? Like, you start to get unfulfilled and you look for something new. Yeah, this industry, three years in, it's still... Oh, this is still... I mean, you're, you're still struggling. I'm yeah. still struggling. I'm 18 years in. Yeah. Well, I think you always... It, it, you're, you're always... It, it's always... It, it's a treadmill. You have to keep on going and keep on going. And there's, you know, there's nothing to fall back on. So there's a, it's a very interesting industry. Yeah, I mean, the blocking and tackling remains the same, but the the market and what's happening is so dynamic that you always have to be learning. There's no way you can... And how people do business. Right. I Absolutely. mean, it's not like like cold calling, picking up the phone and calling someone up to talk about a property or to talk about their real estate needs. 
is nearly impossible now. Mm -hmm. People aren't in the office answering their phones. Like, there's not... We've got caller ID. People don't have, answer numbers they don't know. We have know. a voicemail People, system I that mean, you get caught in there, and it's like, you know. Don't worry, hole. call me if I don't know your number I'm picking up. That's a surefire way to get me to answer. Mm-hmm. If I don't know the number, opportunities on the other no, end. No, you got to leave me a Well, I would now. say you're an anomaly <laughs> with respect to that. But, yeah. Uh, so it's, Both yeah, generationally? No, you particularly. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, this is not this is not a generalization. So Most think, people, when they see a number that they don't know, they do not pick it up. I am exactly the opposite. If that, I don't know the number, I'm definitely picking it that up. That would make you the unicorn. <laughs> well, if you're a unicorn, you want to come <laughs> learn about real estate, come knock on our door. Um, well, <laughs> Call. <laughs> call. Do not text whatever you yes, do. Yes, yes. Don't text me. Um, so did we like the experience with our friend Chris? DeSantis and the yeah. generational gap. I mean, I'm I'm a nerd about all of that. Like the the um, yeah, I I love the psychology behind and and the things that the inputs that go into trends of generations or how people people's upbringing impacts who they become and how they become that way. Um, so I I find that fascinating, even outside of like a a work atmosphere. I could talk about that all day long. Sweet. How about you? Do you enjoy it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think that it, for me, there was a lot of validation. Yeah. You know, this is, I mean, people think that way. You know, I think the way I do because of a certain reason, and I'm sure that everyone, you know, uses, falls <coughs> on their, uh, their, own, their own experiences and how they look at the world. And one of the things that he said that to get along is you have to talk. And if people are unwilling to talk or hear somebody else's perspective, and, you know, we live in a very polarized society, so just by that statement, people aren't talking. Sure. They're not listening to, this yeah, is why I think people are talking. They're not listening. <laughs> it, okay, I'm going to ask you to turn, go on the other side of that door. Are you listening to how I look at the world? Are you listening to... Um, you know, my, and I don't mean you, I mean the, uh, the millennials. The millennials. In general, right. Are they listening to how I look at the world and why I say what I say? I don't think I, I get that feeling in the same way that, you know, someone looks at me and said, you know, oh, oh old, old white guy with gray hair. I mean, I'm persona non grata day one. So it's. Um, well, I, I think uh, that, I mean, and yeah. that's my takeaway from yesterday. I laughed like I have not laughed in a long time because the guy was super witty and really good. Oh, God. But I kind of felt like it was a salad bar, and he effectively said something that everybody in the room would resonate with. Sure. And like you mentioned, it validated things you were already thinking. Like, if anything, it almost was like so many hot takes that everybody in there, I felt, probably walked out and was like, yeah, that guy's dead right about that. But then if you actually polled the people, what they thought was dead right would be like still very generationally different. Absolutely. You, and, and that was the other it's You hear from your perspective, not from what somebody else is saying. And I, I've said this. That's what you said. That's not what I heard. And, right. That's um, a common so thing. you have and, to try. And that's where the further dialogue comes. And, and I, I think that's the one of wonderful things about this particular thing. And I know, I know we need to wrap wrap it up but I think another thing like in the presentation yesterday and then in a separate discussion that we had yesterday afternoon something I'm learning is 
that because of the way your generation was brought up and because of probably the more experience your generation has had in working with his generation, oftentimes, like, like I do want to have a dialogue. I want to understand why I'm being asked to do a certain thing or why we're doing a certain thing a certain way. And sometimes your generation, because you were like the the do, like the tell do generation, you interpret my questions as a challenge of your authority or your experience when really like I am just trying to get a, a better understanding of why we're doing something a certain way or why something is a certain way. And I, so I like that was one of the frictional things that like after the conversation yesterday, I'm better understanding why sometimes people in your generation will just say things and then get upset if we don't just like take them and act on them when really we just want a more full comprehensive understanding of, of why. And it's not to challenge authority or challenge your experience. It's just to understand why we're doing something a certain way because now like that's how we learn now we learn in a more holistic way like if I don't understand the inputs into something or the process behind something or the rationale of how we got to like what we're doing I don't learn as completely or as quickly and 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 I would agree with that and I would also say that when you hear what someone of my generation or your generation says don't accept it blindly you know, that, that that doesn't mean it's the only way of doing have something. You, have you seen me do that? <laughs> no. I think you two should hug. Like, this is no, like a moment. But it's, oh. it's, We're going to wrap up no, episode but I think, 19 with I a think, hug. You know, Boomers when, love millennials I, and vice versa. Well, well, we, we haven't gotten into the other social aspects of it. But, oh. but, the, but, the, um, Teaser but it's just like, you know, well, when you sought counsel from someone who was senior to you or older than you, and that doesn't mean you did what they did. It means that you did seek counsel and you said, okay, I have this perspective, I have this perspective, and I have this perspective, and I'm going to do it this way because this is the one that I think that's, that's going to work for me. Right. So I think that that goes back to the dialogue thing. Everything will always change of how you approach things, but the more inputs that you can get and the more diverse the inputs that you can get, the better it's going to be. Well, I think that's a wrap right there, yeah. dialogue and communication. We failed at keeping it under the timeline. Kelsey's over there waving her hands, and we're just <laughs> well, we were chatting close. away. And we are looking forward to an amazing run in 2023. There's some yeah. great guests about to be announced. So Some big excited. announcements on the totem front, too. Yeah, some big announcements. We kind of teased it a little bit, but... February is going to be an exciting month. So stay tuned. We'll talk soon. And if you've got any recommendations or questions, reach out to us um, via info at totemrealityadvisors.com. Thanks and have a great day. It's a wrap. That's a wrap. Pretty good. <laughs>